Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Our first reading this morning comes from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verses 1, 4, and then 4 through 7. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us listen for a word of God to us from the 17th chapter of the Gospel according to Luke. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as Jesus entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When Jesus saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, this one was a Samaritan. Then said Jesus, We're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this stranger? And he said to the one who had been healed, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Part of the power and purpose of Bible Sunday, I suppose, is that it provokes a kind of inescapable moment of intergenerational solidarity as we all consider for at least a moment whatever happened to this volume that landed in our lives once upon a time, wherever or whenever that was, and whether or not we can produce the copy of the good book that came into our hands as children on a day like today. I found 
I confess that I couldn't resist, and so taking a page from Becca, here it is. <laughs> On June 9th, 1960, <clears throat> <laughs> of course, I had no idea what kind of company this floppy volume would provide over the years with its tissue-thin pages that have always smelled, even on the day it was new, like a cedar closet. I don't remember where I kept it during its earliest years in my possession or when I might possibly have done anything that could be called reading it. But somehow, when the time came, it was in the right place to see me all the way through seminary and then right up to the moment of the publication of the better translation that finally replaced it in 1989. Truth to tell, I don't open this particular volume very often anymore. Its purpose, I've decided, has evolved to being at least as much a matter of anthropology as of literature or theology, I can hold it aloft as an icon of one person's little history, and I can say, this is what my people do. We tell stories. And there are few more sacred things that I can think of to say about this tradition, this faith, this practice of ours than that. Maybe we start by wondering whether any of those stories could possibly be true. Really, monsters in the Bible? Then after a while, hopefully the question deepens. We start wondering how they might be true. In what sense? To what end? At some point, we discover that the spectrum of stories there are to tell runs the full gamut from unearthly beauty to unconscionable horror. But still we tell them until by and by they start telling us. The writer Frederick Beekner says that one of the things about the Garden of Eden, for instance, is that in some deep way, we remember it. We all know some part of the truth of that story, he says, because somewhere halfway between memories and dreams, we all remember having been there, as though the living tissue of the human species has somehow soaked up the memory of having once been in a place of such harmony and balance, such innocence and intimacy even if it hasn't, God knows, been in any of our lifetimes. So that from the inside, we recognize the truth that the story holds. We remember it, even if we haven't lived it ourselves. And there are other kinds of stories that have to be remembered, aren't there? This week, our colleague, resident minister, Andrew Frazier, led worship for the staff on Wednesday morning using a small piece of a cantata composed by Craig Hella Johnson 
in which we heard these luminous, simple words. We tell each other stories so that we will remember, try and find the meaning in the living of our days. Always telling stories, wanting to remember where and whom we came from, who we are. Sometimes there's a story that's painful to remember, one that breaks the heart of us all. Still we tell the story, listening and confessing what we have forgotten in the story of us all. The piece from which that excerpt came is called Considering Matthew Shepard, the young gay student whose death, murder, in the Wyoming desert at the hands of anonymous assailants 21 years ago yesterday is surely one of the stories that bear considering in a time like this one that seems still scarred only more deeply by violent anger. Well, we've got two stories this morning, both of them asking us to think about what we remember and each making a potent suggestion about how to wield our memory in the direction of grace. The first, as you heard, is a story of exile. I don't know if all or any of us remember having been in exile, remember having left a place where we felt known and held in order to go to a place where things are different, where life comes harder and our longing for blessing and familiarity of a place or circumstance of the past goes unrequited. But the story of the exile in Babylon, alongside the more familiar story of the Exodus from Egypt, are the two defining stories that have etched themselves on the memory of the people Israel. And so, at least anthropologically, on us as their kindred and their heirs and their companions. If the story of Eden rings some distant bell within us and causes us, even if only in fleeting moments, to remember a place where, behold, it was very good. Then maybe the dislocation and the longing of exile rings a bell too. And we can feel in our viscera the anguish and the fear of those who were displaced before us and of the Uyghurs and Tibetans and Rohingya and of the Syrians and, God forgive us, of the Kurds who are being displaced before our very eyes. Humanity, surely, knows the truth of the story of exile. So if our circumstances happen to have allowed us to forget and perhaps it's time for us to do some of the work of remembering. So, in the midst of that work, to us and to the exiles, Jeremiah has a startling word. Build houses 
and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Have children and give them away in marriage. Have grandchildren. Seek the welfare of the city to which you have been displaced. And pray to God on behalf of that city. For in the welfare of that city, in its wholeness, its shalom, you will find your own shalom. In those times, as in these times, the exercise of an empire's power often had the effect of shaking people loose from their homes, either by force or just by terror. Contemporary people have invented the phrase ethnic cleansing, but it goes all the way back. Jeremiah wrote his letter to people who had already been carted off to Babylon. He wrote from whatever was left of their beloved Jerusalem with the sober warning that they shouldn't expect things to go back to normal anytime very soon. A warning like some of the warnings we're hearing these days that brace us for a long haul before we're on the other side of the distress of our planet's climate or of our national political life. But at precisely a moment that would seem to have justified maximum self-pity, despair, and bitterness, Jeremiah offered the most counterintuitive counsel Build, plant, marry, live. Live your way into the future and seek there the shalom that you remember. Because in the welfare of the place to which you are being displaced, you will find your own welfare. Take what you remember and plant it, he says. Just do that. And while you're planting, say a prayer for the people around you, the strangers, the others, the captors. Say a prayer for them because prayer is just a way of leaning together toward the good that we desire. So let your heart lean because that prayer will come back to you. It will. This exile, this time of unrequited longing won't be over as soon as you could wish. But what you remember will hold you if you live it, if you plant it, if you pray it. Pay attention to the shalom you're carrying with you, to the wholeness you carry in the story in your bones. Good advice for us, I think, as we turn our faces toward the future. Of course, it's easy to forget to remember, as today's other story reminds us. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem through the region of Samaria, which his people would always prefer to give a wide birth to. Such is the distaste and disdain between Jews and Samaritans. 
On the way, Jesus happens to come near to one of the communities where people live who've been (laughs) exiled from the rest of society because of bodily conditions thought to be both physically and spiritually contagious and dangerous. A group of the residents of such an enclave see Jesus coming. They keep their distance from his body as custom requires, but not from his conscience or his heart. Jesus, Master, have mercy upon us. Their anguished cry rings down the road across the distance imposed upon them. Jesus directs them to go and show themselves to the priests as custom requires. Because in those pre-medical times, the responsibility for evaluating wellness was delegated to priests. So it's when that group are on that errand at Jesus' bidding that the healing somehow occurs. Of the ten in the group, nine of them probably break from a stroll into an exuberant sprint to the nearest priest. But something different happens to one of them in the moment of healing. One of them remembers the whole story of the encounter from the beginning, looks back and sees just moments before another world before how it started. And it turns him in his tracks back to the source, back to the one who understood, to the one who saw him, back to the place where it began, or maybe it's all the way back to Eden. When he finds Jesus again on the road, he falls to his knees in an ecstasy of gratitude and praise. And Jesus muses Interesting how this one, this Samaritan, who knows the double exile of illness and otherness, is the one who remembered, the one who could not suppress the expression of love and joy. Rise, he says to the healed one, rise and be on your way. You've not only been cured like the others, your gratitude has made you something more than illness-free. It has made you well. It has made you whole. It's a legitimate translation of the Greek to read, your faith has saved you. Your grateful to overflowing, and gratitude is what faith looks like when it remembers. There is shalom in your bones, Jesus says. You remember. Go on your way now. Plant it and see what will grow. Oh, and tell the story. So still we tell the story, we're listening and confessing what we have forgotten in the story of us all. That's what our people do 
we tell the story. Whether it's the remembrance of Eden or the remembrance of exile or the remembrance of how he looked with the bread in his hands or the remembrance of the community that at a certain moment in your childhood made you a trustee of the stories that tell us. What we remember will save us as it saved the leper on the road. Think of that as you make your pledge for the coming year of our life and work together. Think of that when you tell yourself the story of your own life. Pay attention to the shalom you're carrying with you. Plant it, even in exile, and see what will grow. And say a prayer for the ones around you because prayer is just a way of leaning toward the good together that we all desire. Let your heart lean because that prayer will come back to you. Pay attention to the wholeness you carry in the story in your bones. Would you pray with me once again? God, our Savior, may these prayers which we offer you also be a renewing of our contract to love one another, even as Jesus has loved us. We pray for the end of bitterness and violence in its many forms. Bless all peacemakers, those who fight tirelessly for others. We pray for the effective, compassionate care of all those in need, including members of this congregation. Bless all who work in clinics, hospitals, care facilities, homes, and any other places. We pray for the feeding of the hungry, the marginalized, and the oppressed. Bless every agency, church, or government which is dedicated to the care of our disadvantaged sisters and brothers. We pray for the provision of systems of justice that are truly unfair especially those that are within our own homeland. Bless with insight and integrity each person who works for the people. We pray for the church, for all denominations, large or small, that we may love one another in practice as well as in prayer. Bless all joint initiatives in worship, fellowship, and service to the community. May the world know that there is grace at work in us which is not our own doing, but a gift from God. Now let us pray in the way that Jesus has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.